is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed Sunday Report. I don't have any graphics yet, but that's what I'm going to call it. I think in keeping with the tradition of North American media, I think Walter Cronkite started this tradition for Sunday magazine shows to just sort of recap what we saw in our country during the last week and try to make sense of it all. And I think we have had one of these weeks where there were so many things happening at once. Uh, One of the things, and you know what? I'm guilty of not talking about this enough or not paying enough attention to this, even though a um, a lot of this was happening in my neck of the woods, in the Madawaska Valley, near the Ottawa Valley in Ontario, with the wildfires that were happening out west. It is just crazy. And seeing how out of touch Danielle Smith seems to be uh, regarding the wildfires. Uh, this is something I don't think we're going to cover too much today, but just as a as a way of sort of uh, letting people know that I think I need to pay more attention to that. I absolutely agree. There is, however, uh, other big news in the province. And uh, before I get into it, I'm just going to play a clip and introduce our guest at the back end of that clip. So here is one of the biggest stories this week. Is anyone that the, the, the chief of staff takes direction from the minister? What responsibility does the housing minister hold and why is he not here next to you today? Well, the housing minister is out there and I have full confidence in, in Steve Clark. He's out there trying to build homes. He's out there trying to cut red tape. You know, we have given the tools to the municipalities to speed up the process, to make sure that they get homes built. But I'm, I'm not pointing the fingers at municipalities. They're doing a great job. As I mentioned at AMO, some are at 116%, some are 109%. We're there to help them. My frustration is when I talk to the mayors and I talk to the chairs of the regions, that some of these builders, they, they're land banking the stuff, and that's unacceptable. Why did Ryan Amato resign, sir? You know something? We accepted his resignation. And uh, it went through our, our chief of staff. He accepted it. You're going to have to ask Ryan Amato. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Doug Ford can't answer a question about why the housing minister's chief of staff resigned. I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't really get it. You're going to have to ask Ryan Amato. Instead, I think it would probably be beneficial for myself and for my audience to ask my guest today. He is a former political dark arts ninja and a great political analyst with all things that have to do with corruption. And his name is David Wallace. David, welcome back to Blackball, buddy. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for having me. No problem. So the I I wanted to have you on for for obvious reasons, but also, um, and before we get into really the, the, into the weeds here, when you saw that press conference, which is the first press conference I think he's done in a couple of weeks, certainly the first since all of this shit hit the fan regarding the obviously corrupt process in the Greenbelt development scandal. Watching him not answer any questions um, during that press conference and even taking it a step further, we watched Premier Ford pretend that he was going to bat to for for, uh, for what he called the little guys and gals. I wish I had that clip. That was the greatest. Um, you know, the little guys and gals, which is, I think, his way of trying to be PC, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think that was a people kind moment like Justin Trudeau had a couple years ago. Uh, but 
and then try to throw builders and developers under the bus in the same press conference was a clear sign for me that he knows that the RCMP, if they were so inclined to actually do a robust investigation, have a case. What say you? I'd say that uh, I'd say that the good premier um, absolutely understands, uh, much like a, a common street thug understands when he sees the uh, the bubble lights behind him, that uh, he's busted. And now it's up to the communities to put enough pressure on their MPs, uh, MPPs, excuse me, to make sure that the RCMP pursues charges. Because at the end of the day, people, instead of just being pedestrian and standing by and saying, well, uh, wonder if the RCMP will investigate that. That's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty lackadaisical attitude because if you have that attitude, then you are obviously inclined to believe that this agency is corrupt. And if you have ample reason to believe this, then maybe you ought to do something about it and demand that these public servants, because that's what they are, the RCMP, public servants. And I'm not talking about the officers here. I'm talking about, let's let's get down to brass tacks, the patronage uh, um, appointments inside the brass of, of this department. They work for you. And if you hold the attitude that they won't do anything, just like they didn't with Jason Kenney, just like they didn't with the raping and stealing of the identities in Alberta of a very vulnerable community, they don't care. But that's because you don't do anything about it. It's on us. Simple. Yeah, it, I mean, what what would you what would? Because listen, I I I I've heard Dean Blundell talk about this. I think I've heard you talk about this before, but you seem to be, um, maybe I'm wrong actually, but I'll just speak for myself. I often look at protests as a very ineffective way to try to make change. I don't know if it's because we do it wrong, the whole blocking traffic thing. I'm a big believer in um, in the type of protest where if you say, take, say you take Queens Park, for example, and you wanted to uh, demand the resignation of mayor ford um wearing political party colors like orange or green you know for for progressive lefty kind of politics or whatever i don't think that works um the left uh had, had brought out i think once uh when they were protesting against doug ford's cuts i think it was the autism but i could be wrong about that it was right at the beginning of his uh administration they brought out a pretend guillotine i don't think that works I'm wondering what kind of protest do you think, and this may be a little off the beaten path of what we were going to talk about, but I'm just sort of curious what you think, because I've heard you say that now a few times, that we that it's up to us. What do you think would make an effective protest? Well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Um, the time for protests are over. That that time passed long ago, and um, I'm not speaking to, to left left-inclined people, liberals. I'm not speaking to conservatives. Uh, I'm not speaking to anybody in particular except for Canadians, because that's what we all are, no matter what jersey we're wearing right now. Um, and I'm speaking to everybody that within the next 30 days, 30 days, well, the puppet show goes on. Our society is changing. We're going to have more lockdowns. 
there are medical cases at gargantuan levels that are not being reported. Our system, in terms of our health system, is about to completely collapse. Our dollar is losing its value. We are in a very precarious situation. Instead of protesting, what we need to do is take action. And that action is simple. If enough people in every one of their communities go to the office of their representative and protests and demands Doug Ford's resignation, demands it, the EP, if there are enough of you, will do exactly that because he knows where his bread is buttered. And if you do it to enough MVP, or MPs, excuse me, MPPs, then every one of them will demand Dougie's head on a platter. You make them eat their own, and that's the way to do it. Protesting and marching in the streets before Queens Park will accomplish nothing, but on mass protesting and demanding your MPPs in your own communities will get you action because at the end of the day, it's all about covering your own ass. Um, go in and out uh, to fix that static uh, that we have. Um, but yeah, listen, I, I think that you, uh, you raise a really good point. I think that um, if we're able to mobilize people to do that, then that would be a gargantuan accomplishment in and of itself. Um, I don't know how likely that is, though. Uh, I think that we we live in a time. Listen, I remember when Occupy Wall Street happened, um, and it was it was it was kind of perfect at the beginning. At the beginning of Occupy Wall Street, it was just at the end of the uh, financial crisis, if I if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, and it had a vibe that I've heard you talk about. It had a marketing angle to it that I thought was great. It was, uh, we are the 99%. And it really had this focus on the idea that many people were talking about at the time from both sides of the political spectrum, from Ron Paul to Bernie Sanders over the years have made the same point that it is a very small percentage of people, 1% of the people that kind of spoil everything for everyone else. And I like that message. I think that the idea that, uh, you know, that we're being run and we're being scammed by the political class and their rich friends has never been more apparent than it is right now. The, the, the message of the 99% um, is something that I think could resonate. And and when I hear you talk about it, I automatically think back to Occupy Wall Street. Now, Occupy Wall Street completely shot themselves in the foot when they decided that they were Marxists and they would decide everything through a, commun a committee of communists. And I'm not just saying that to be vitriolic. That's literally what they did. And it lost its luster uh, for most people because they had moderates and they had moderate conservatives on their side. Most conservatives that I know, like real true conservatives, not not hardcore far right conservatives, but but sensible, ethical conservatives do not like corruption. In fact, it is one of the things they hate the most because they're very into a, an idea and a philosophy of self-reliance yes. and holding people to account because they don't like being lorded over. So when you talk about the 99%, what are you sort of uh, alluding to? Well, you're 
your owners. Do you think the, the media, the news that gets reported on in the mainstream these days, say the, the, the Toronto Star, uh, the Post, anything Post media owns, do you think that that is information that reporters really got into the business to write? Um, no. It's the corporations that own the 1%, the, the special interests that allow legislature yeah. to get passed. And people like Pierre Pulliver are not the heroes of the right wing. I mean, a lot of conservatives have to plug their nose and go with it, Captain Freedom. However, this anti-vaxxer, supposed anti-vaxxer, um, when he was having his little barn burning tour uh, last year, uh, and people couldn't get in because the building, you had to be vaccinated. Well, Captain Freedom didn't cancel. He didn't move the protest to another hall. No, he went ahead and took his money and went home because it's not about what you want it to be about for these guys. It's about getting in your door and then stealing everything you own. They don't believe what you believe. They don't. And that goes double double for the other side too. Let's face it. We have our non-believers and they are the majority. They are professional politicians. They are mercenaries and they are for sale. And it has always been this way. Okay. It used to be minute. And when it was caught, it was rooted out. Over time, it has become a an infestation. And, and, we are, keep electing officials who are beholden to special interest, be they the pharmaceuticals corporations, be they the, uh, the, uh, the mob uh, in, in Ontario. We're owned. We're owned, guys. We don't want to face up to it. But criminals, criminals control this place. And what we are allowed to do is choose between red or blue or orange or whatever. And the fact of the matter is we've lost the meaning of what a liberal and what a conservative is, because I don't doubt the beliefs and sincerity of the people in both sides of the party. What I doubt is that same belief and sincerity from their leaders. That's interesting. I, I wrote a piece not too long ago about how the liberals and the conservatives are like the bloods and the crips only without the good sense of ethics and code that the Bloods and Crips have, um, you know, and, and people got really mad at me and, and that's fine. I, people get mad at me all the time, but the idea that when, 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 when we talk about things like unions, for example, and the type of deals that, uh, that, that unions get, I often hear something that, that I kind of agree with. And um, it happens a lot to teachers. It used to happen a lot more to auto workers before all their jobs got shipped away. But there was this idea that um, if, you were, if you were to argue against the unions um, trying to get a better deal because the average wage of other people is a lot lower, there was one sentence that sort of rang true for me. And, and they would be pro-union people that would be saying, what's with the race to the bottom? Why are you trying to shit on people for trying to get good deals just because other people don't have good deals? And I kind of feel the same way when people... Um, pick a side and, and, and let's be, let's face it, it, it right now, because of the way that politics are conservatives do kind of stand out a little bit more when it comes to like vitriol 
and when it comes to um, sort of nastiness or whatever, and and people start defending liberals, and and they say things that are non sequiturs uh, for for critics, and, and and one of those things is, uh, you know, that my side is better than your side. Um, I, I I think well, uh, you know, if if I criticize Trudeau or if someone criticizes Trudeau, often the response is like. Would you rather have Pierre Polyev? And I feel like we need to sort of redirect that. Um, why is this a race to the bottom message and put it into that overarching idea of taking sides in politics? I don't care about false equivalencies. I don't care which one's worse to you or which one's better to you. Politics is one sport. Yep. And we're not talking about two teams here. We're talking about the executive class. So it's like it's like talking about the commissioner's office and the executives that make up the commissioner's office in baseball, right? Liberals and conservatives are not two different teams. They're the executives that oversee the game called politics. We're the fucking players. We're supposed to be the teams, right? We're, the we're supposed to be yes, and we're supposed to be but we're supposed to be the ones that sort of dictate to like we're like the players that dictate to the executives what we demand from them. If we had a, a, the ability as people, maybe I, I want your thoughts on this. If we have the ability of people to argue for our value, our overall value as citizens, the way that baseball players argue for their market value to, to like team owners or to the executive class in baseball, we would be a lot better off. But we don't have that here. We, we have this distraction of, of voting for red or blue. And it totally distracts us from the idea that once red gets in, eventually a gas plant scandal is going to happen or an SNC-Lavalin scandal is going to happen. And because they think the other side is so much worse, they're going to give a free pass to their side for SNC and for gas plants and things like that. Isn't that kind of what you're talking about? That's exactly what I'm talking about. I'll give you an example. When I got back over here and I got back into the political fix business, it was, uh, you get a call. You get a call sometimes. Sometimes it's from an ex-cop, you know, let's say a detective in homicide who, uh, you know, does his own investigating. And somebody says, look, uh, I got a problem. I need you to go see so-and-so. And you say the so-and-so because it's a politician. Yeah. And so you go and fix that politician's problem. But then a few months later, you get the same call from the same guy to go fix another politician's problem, except this guy plays for the blue team. So you go and you fix his problem. The people behind cleaning up all the messes for these guys, red or blue, they hire me, the same customer. Yeah. Sign that speaks for itself, right? They hire the same crisis management firm too. Yeah. You know, and, and that should, that, that, that should say a lot to people. And look at, I, I know people, I, we're, we're, we're probably not going to change any minds during this show, but I can't stress it enough. Like the, the, the people that were like, oh, the SNC Lavalin scandal wasn't a scandal. They're the same as they're, they're programmed in the same way that people who wave a flag for progressive conservatives in Ontario are like, oh, the green belt just needs to be developed because we need housing. I don't, whatever. Who cares about if a developer got a deal? It is the same disease. This cognitive dissonance, this, this turn a blind eye because your team did it. 
but next time that the team that you hate does something, you'll point the finger and you'll be mad as hell. And someone's going to point out the scandal that you just waved away because your team did it. And you're going to find a way to deflect away from taking responsibility for doing that. It's the same disease. Um, I, I want to speak about the anatomy of this Greenbelt scandal a little bit um, because I know that there is something in the Klondike papers that is direct that is directly related to this scandal. And I was hoping that you could sort of enlighten uh, our audience here uh, as to what that is. Yeah. Um, rewind to late 2017 when I was in Moscow in business. Uh, I picked up the paper on Brown, Patrick Brown job. That's my son. Uh, my my family came home. They went to visit family that have been gone for six weeks. And it's, That's the uh, future. He's allowed on the show anytime. Do not scold him after the show. Okay. Uh, there you go. Oh, I won't scold him. I, he's, uh, he's a big kid. He's, uh, he's probably can take me right now. So, uh, but with anyway, that haircut, he probably thinks you're his aunt. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, uh, <laughs> I came back uh, late 2017 um, as part of that contract, so to speak. Um, I met with some developers in the GTA. The names, uh, I'm not going to mention them on air, but uh, if somebody's got the Klondike papers, I'm pretty sure some of those names will stand out, especially one in particular in Vaughn. Um, yeah, don't mention that person's name because... No, I'm no, no, here. I definitely won't. I have enough shit going on around my house with cult books. And I'm definitely else. not going to do that because, uh, yeah. yeah, you don't want to do that. But anyways, um, an agreement was arranged where... Mr. Brown would be given all the assistance in the world to uh, to run in Brampton and that he would have his piece of the pie. And, uh, you know, basically everything was going to be forgiven. And Doug was the premier and that's the way it was going to stay. And Patrick, uh, Patrick could be very comfortable in Brampton, just like some other people are comfortable uh, in other municipalities now who also uh, might have posed a certain problem for Mr. Ford. So it's done. And uh, so, yeah, we met up with some developers and uh, met them, uh, introduced them with some developers on the other side of the world and, and everybody made out. So is some of the money, some of the investment in the green belt development, uh, foreign money? Absolutely. Yes. How much of it do you think? I couldn't even, I couldn't, but, but enough of it to, to raise an eyebrow. If, um, if a, if a inquisitive media were so inclined, I think when this is all said and done, that the development on the green belt goes through, I think it'll make that eight point whatever billion dollars look like a tip. So okay, so let's then move on to a little bit to the actual scandal itself. How? Because I think a lot of people think that. Um, and and listen, I, I I like to get specifics. So Ryan Amato, who was the chief of staff for the Ontario Housing Minister. Um, was the conduit between developers and their applications and the eventual green lighting of those developer plans in order to uh, take swaths of the green belt. How does that work exactly? Like, if I'm a developer and I go up to Ryan Amato, what am I handing him? And then how does he then take it to wherever it needs to go to get greenlit? Well, I think um, Mr. Amato would probably show up after the phone calls have already been made, he'd probably have a nice lunch or a nice dinner. Uh, he'd probably be handed exactly what the developers had agreed to and what they were going to do. And he probably would be handed uh, um, a means of uh, gratuity, so to speak. Uh, 
how they handle that these days, whether it's cash or uh, perhaps crypto, who knows? But I guarantee you when he left there, allegedly uh, left there, that in this hypothetical situation, that uh, his pockets would be heavier. Yeah, because, you know, Doug Ford said in his press conference um, that he's like, people talk about uh, my buddies and donations. He's like, what am I going to just give a land deal for $1,500? And all I just keep on thinking is, certainly someone heard a briefcase open in your house many times over the last, you know, year or so. Well, you know, if the press was curious at all in the mainstream, somebody might look into his books for a label company. I don't know any particular label company could be his. I could be wrong, allegedly, but maybe they could look into his books for 2019 and go first quarter and see why in the hell did you get all these contracts for distancing, social distancing labels? Doesn't make much sense, does it? Yeah. But that's, you know, it could be, it could be. But if anybody was curious and maybe wanted to know where to look, might not be a bad place to start. I think we people also, it's worth pointing out. And listen, I'm so tired of hearing false equivalency accusations. They're different. I never like to rank anything. Like people always ask me what my top five rappers are. And I'm like, I like Nas probably the best, but I don't really care about ranking anyone else after that. I like this guy for that reason and that guy for this reason. So, and there's different kinds of corrupt. So you can't, it's not an all or nothing prospect. When you point out things like the procurement process for vaccines and how it isn't just a coincidence that one of Justin Trudeau's buddies who he spent time with at his actual house in, was it Tofino? Tofino. And look, when I said about the, the, the early order, I don't want to feed into anybody's narrative that, that this was, oh boy, you know, no, the fact of the matter is they knew, they knew heading back to 2017, okay, that things were getting out of control, that there were weapons, bioweapons, such as this one, that would mutate viruses. They knew that all these emerging, they knew this was coming and they knew that it could come any time. The fact is, it was massive negligence on the part of all our governments. And then when they did kick it into overdrive, they pressured vaccine companies into coming up with something. That's why. Why do you think the vaccine companies wanted to be indemnified? Hmm. People say they wanted to be indemnified because they knew they were killing people. No, no, no. The vaccine companies wanted to be indemnified because they knew the timelines that the politicians who had fucked the people by stalling doing what was right in the first place, which was trying to get out ahead of this. Instead, they dragged us along for almost three more years. How many millions of people died because of that? It was a scam, all right. It was a scam because they knew about the coronavirus and they knew about it a hell of a lot sooner than 2019 in China. And they know this. They know that they covered it up, that it was burning through like wildfire, and we've only hit the first wall. This next shit that's coming up, we're not ready. We're not ready. And it's all not be, it's not a failure of the medical community, a failure of these vaccine companies who are greedy bastards. But the fact of the matter is they were given no ramp time to get approvals on this. They told these people we need trials. This is something that we have not done. By the time they get something dialed in, people are going to get hurt. And you've well, heard uh, Bill Gates say, well, some people are going to be injured because of negligence. That's why they were injured. And this is what the 1% does. Instead of giving us access to the latest information, unfiltered, 
and letting our medical professionals and brilliant people develop vaccines that can be beneficial to us. No, they pressure these people with the brain power to get a solution right now with no trials. And of course, people are going to get hurt. It's because of fucking greed. But just this, but just to circle back, because I, I think I, I'm not trying to belabor this point, but if we woke up one day and uh, and Pierre Polyev, let's just say for argument's sakes, was prime minister, um, hold your pearl clutching, but just let's we're pretending here. OK, and we found out that he went to his buddy's house in Banff, who happened to um, be a broker for importing vaccines and gave that guy a contract worth like tens of millions of dollars to procure vaccines at a later date than he could have if he didn't go with his buddy. Every single person that is a liberal would be calling for his head, would be saying he needs to be arrested, would be calling for his resignation. That is what Justin Trudeau's government did. And nobody fucking cares who 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 fly that red flag for the liberals they don't want to talk about it they don't want to even mention it if they do the the the, the canned response is always like well think of how bad it would be if the conservatives were in power and it's just like you're not answering the question you sound like my ex you know like it just just be ex. accountable why don't you just hold someone to account be accountable what is wrong what why do you think we have such a problem with that because people lie to themselves. Listen, this is why we are going to perish as a society, because we are lying to ourselves. And until you stop doing that, we will always lose. I, I, I've been in prison. I've been in jail. You know, I committed the same stupid crime three times. I drove without a license, not because... Uh, um, I couldn't <laughs> that would be the last that. crime that I would suspect. No, no, no. But you know for. what? The judge gave me 180 days. He gave me two weekends, 90 max separated by one week. And you know what? I deserve to be there because what I did was wrong. And what I was doing was selfish. And until you can look in the mirror and take the blame for that and fess up to certain uncomfortable truths, then you will continue to lie to yourselves and we will continue to get the government we get. They're all thieves to a certain degree or not. Okay. I've fixed things for many politicians and I'm just one guy. I'm just one guy. I'm not aiming this against your beliefs because really I had believe in liberal ideals. I believe in some conservative ideals. I was yeah. a conservative for many years. A friend told me, you know, if you're a, if you're a, if you're not a liberal before you're 30, then you're heartless. And if you're one after 30, then you're, then you're stupid. Um, yeah, look, but there's that 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 kitten metaphor, right? Like a uh, like a, a liberal is like a, a four day old kitten, and then uh, a conservative is like a four month old cat because their eyes can open or something. Ah, like that. Well, <laughs> I've heard that speech me, so many times. It's 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 kind of funny. Anyways, go ahead. For me, it, it it's I believe now in 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 look. People deserve, deserve to live in a society where they're not trampled upon for their, their beliefs, their, their, their sexuality, their, as long as everybody is behaving within the rule of law, then what is the problem? I mean, a society to be harmonious cannot be based on hate. 
This is what drew me away from being a conservative. Everything was negative. Everything was negative. Now, on the liberal side, it's not the people in the party. The people in the party are some of the most pleasurable people to speak to. It's the politicians who don't believe in these ideas. They use them like weapons against you. It's emotional manipulation because they never, ever, ever fight for the ideals and die on the hills they should. Instead, they die on the hills for certain other things. And those other things drive division for all Canadians, all Canadians. And, and I think we need to hold our politicians to a higher standard and we need to call them on them. And we need to call our mainstream media on the same. If we stop consuming their products, they will certainly stop existing. We hold the power, but we have to get rid of the complacency. That is kind of why I like, um, Nathaniel Erskine Smith so much. Uh, he's a he was a federal liberal. I'm not sure if he's if he's advocated his advocated like he's a king. I'm not sure if he um, resigned as an MP because he's running for the uh, provincial leadership uh, for the liberals. He was one of those guys who um, I think he set a record for voting against his own party as a federal MP. And it was like 36 times or something like that, that he voted against his own government led by Justin Trudeau. Uh, he was elected in 2015. So he's been there now for nine years. And I, I thought it was so refreshing. And, 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 you know, I think and Michael Chong is sort of like that for the conservatives, uh, you know, especially during the last election that Harper was around for um, when he spoke out against uh, the, what was it? The barbaric practices tip line or whatever that was you know and but those are the only two that i can name that that actually have a spine where they're elected to office and they don't mind finger wagging their own party establishment but what's happened is is that that disease that partisanship disease of turning a blind eye to what your favorite politician does has gone from the political class to the electorate class, to the civilian class. We are now, most, most of us that follow politics and wave a flag for one team or the other are just as bad as the most rabid partisan that is elected to office. And you can't tell them that. And I'm not trying to like sound like you know, redundant here, but I, 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 it's a huge problem. And I don't think that people are addressing it in the way that they should. Listen, before Trudeau did his stunt in 2015, I call it a stunt because he kind of changed the way that you could become a member of the Liberal Party, right? You didn't, I don't think you needed to pay anything. If you just signed up, you were a member. But, mo but it's something like 4% of total Canadians are actual card-carrying members of a party. That is a tiny number. Tiny. That means 96% of us have no control over the policy initiatives that are born out of conventions for these parties. That's right. And even less people, the delegates, actually have the right to vote on them. It's like less than 1%. And, and the delegates aren't necessarily correct. You notice what you said, 1%. Yeah. And, it's not, and the delegates aren't, aren't necessarily corrupt. I worked uh, in 20, what was it, 2011, um, full disclosure, I, I, and I've talked about this once or twice. 
I worked, I got a contract for the federal liberal party. This is before Trudeau was leader. Uh, Bob, uh, what's his name? Bob Ray. His name is, uh, uh, Bob Ray uh, was the interim leader at mm-hmm. the time. And uh, I was hired by Alfred Apps, who was the president of the liberal, of the federal liberal party. He was on his way out um, because the liberals at that time uh, just finished their worst election in, I think, their history. They got like less than 20 seats or 23 seats or whatever it was, right? And him and I sat in his law office in Toronto and it wasn't my idea. It was his idea, but he was, he hired me to not lobby because I would have had to register as a lobbyist, but I basically was acting as a lobbyist. He wanted me to lean on delegates in the run up to the 2012 uh, federal convention in Ottawa to, 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 uh, to completely um, flip the vote on legalizing marijuana at the time liberal delegates uh, wanted uh, to legalize it at a rate of, of, of three out of 10. It was 30%. He wanted me to make sure that that vote in January, so I had five or six months, to flip that to 70%. So I, I, uh, me and my partners, we went to third-party advocacy groups and we got them to like flood liberal delegates with requests to take a look at this issue and to and to and to create a policy initiative that they would vote on at the at the convention and when all was said and done we succeeded and it went from 30 percent to 78 percent that was a really interesting time for me because i got to see how the machine sort of worked so the interesting thing is and and this is what i'm uh, at the time there it was i learned two things one is that None of these leaders, and when I say leaders, I mean like people that were known to the party, the people in the upper brass of the party, people like Michael Ignatieff and Bob Ray and Stefan Dion and Justin Trudeau and others. I interviewed all of them at the at the convention. And out of all the big wigs that I interviewed, only one guy actually put a flag into the ground and said, yeah, I think we should legalize. And that was Michael Ignatieff, who was the guy who ushered in the worst election result that they had at the time. Justin Trudeau, I interviewed him for about 10 minutes. I think I, I, I shrunk it down to three or four minutes. Uh, Ezra Levant uh, played my clip over and over and over again because he was like, I, I don't think legalization is the type of thing that our society wants to do right now when we're trying to get people to drink less and smoke less cigarettes. And then two fucking years later, he's like, I'm going to legalize marijuana. It wasn't because he was he was leading. It was because he was following. And he looked at what his delegates said. Now, I interviewed him before the vote was taken. So he looked at what his delegates said and then took a while to change his tune. But do you know the second thing that I learned? They got all their buddies to get on the ground floor to invest in cannabis companies. Yeah, That's what really fucking took them so long to actually stake a position out because they didn't want to be seen as doing what they were fucking doing behind the scenes, which is handing millions of dollars to their buddies. James so McRoberts on the ground floor. James McRoberts, who he went to Tofino with. That's how he uh that's right. Joined the multi-billionaire club. Yeah. So guys, the reason why I went on that big story, whatever, is because look. Right now, I, I, and as a moderate, I can see both sides, and I, and I think I'm accurate when I say the following. Is Justin Trudeau more pleasant overall than Pierre Polyev? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah he is. Easy. Is he more polite? 
Yeah, most of the time. Does he does he nail sort of the issues that puts him on the side of being decent and understand? Yeah, for sure. Is he corrupt? Yes, he is. Does it matter if he's as corrupt as Doug Ford? No, it doesn't fucking matter. I don't think anybody can be as corrupt as Doug Ford right now. It, but it's not an all or nothing prospect. It's it, it's just not. It's just different. It's it's almost subjective, the level of corruptness. You don't have to compare corrupt, corrupt. what is it, uh, corruptivity? I don't know, whatever. You don't it have to compare how corrupt, how corrupt one is versus the other. I just gave a very easy example, two of them, um, of uh, the, the vaccine procurement and the way they ushered in uh, the legalization of marijuana, which, by the way, took an entire election cycle, even though he promised it in 2013, I think, or 2014, maybe. He got elected in 2015 and didn't legalize it until the following election. What was he doing during that time? Handing the valuable investments to liberal, friendly people who started companies that um, would get in on the ground floor. That's why it took so long. It wasn't because of anything else. That's what happened. But nobody fucking cares because pure proliev would be worse. And this is a disease. I'm sorry, go ahead, because I've been ranting for five no, minutes. No, it's, it's absolutely, look, here's the problem. We need leaders who sometimes disagree with their own delegates, who stand up and say, look, you elected me, and this is who I am, and this is what I believe. And I'm not going to pretend otherwise, and I'm not just going to vote the party line if the party line happens to be wrong, regardless of what party you're in. And, and we need to really focus on those candidates in our own communities, because those are the people who represent them. We sometimes forget that and think that uh, Justin Trudeau is our primate. He's our leader. Well, really, he is not your representative. Your representative is in your own community, and that's where you have your contact. And when something that the prime minister does that you don't approve of happens because it goes against the promises that he's already made, you need to, instead of getting on Twitter, instead of going on YouTube or TikTok, you need to make a walk down to your MPP or your MP's office, and you need to knock on his door and ask him, along with all your closest friends who voted for this brick, to say, hey, what are you going to do to address this issue? If you do that in every community in this country, your problems are solved, whether you have a liberal or a conservative government. That's right. David Wallace, um, let's wrap there. Uh, we're going to see more of you. We're going to do this once a week, every Sunday. Um, we're going to call it the Sunday Report. Um, and we are going to try, and this is uh, David's urging, and I think it's a good idea, to sort of rebrand that whole idea of the 99%. I don't know how easy that's going to be because it really does have a pretty ingrained brand with most people of an Occupy Wall Street feel. But I, I think it's a. I, I think it's accurate. I, I think it's more than accurate, actually. Um, so, listen, thank you for your time. Um, uh, we'll talk on the phone probably later tonight. And uh, I just we'll want to make one thing clear, though. Yeah, go ahead, please. In a, in a sea of really bad choices in the next federal election, I mean horrible choices. Don't vote the conservative party. I mean, just don't. I don't give a shit if you spoil your ballot, do whatever you got to do with it. If you can't vote, just listen. In, a, in, in, in terms of that, we are dangerously close, dangerously close to going back to a theocratic society with, with the way that this society, or excuse me, this party is heading. We're talking David Parker in Alberta on a national scale 
And uh, I don't want to be on some compound with somebody uh, uh, mixing up the Kool-Aid. No, thanks. Well, listen, I, 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 don't, I, I kind of feel uh, the same way, although I would add the liberals to that pile. Um, and I would say what I've said for years and years and years now, because they haven't had a chance to wreck the family car yet, vote NDP. Well, you know what? Let's I see mean, what uh, the orange corruption looks like at the end of the day. I think we already at have, least we I haven't seen it yet. This revolving door of red and blue. I'm tired of it. I'm really fucking tired. Yeah, we of need it. some more colors. Yeah, we really do. David Wallace, uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Hello. Cheers. That was David Wallace. Always good to have him here. That was a good show. I think uh, I, I think David always brings a really interesting insight to the table. Uh, I'm glad that uh, we had him here. I wanted to read something um, just as just for fun. Because uh, I wrote uh, I wrote a satire piece. Um, maybe I'll uh, I'll get the picture. I, I, because of the idea that uh, that when we're talking about the green belt scandal, and we are talking about how obviously corrupt it is, it makes me feel like uh, the more obvious the corruption, the less likely a um, a government will actually have to uh, be held accountable and show some sort of like uh, punitive result, uh, you know, for, for doing what they did. Now, um, I, I am Italian and I'm not trying to uh, stereotype my fellow Italian citizens, um, but I, I think it's worth, um, it's worth the satire. I love satire. And uh, so uh, I, I don't know if anyone uh, read this or not, but the, uh, the headline is <clears throat> uh, The Green Belt Fellas Presents the Untouchable Doug Father. And I'm just going to read this quick and then I'm going to sign off. As far back as I can remember, Dougie always wanted to be a gangster. Not saying he is one, but I'm just saying. Also, there's no such thing as the mafia. Listen, the Greenbelt scandal, it isn't a scandal at all. It's just a big misunderstanding, like the reason Dougie wears a pinky ring or the fact that he keeps a bag of cement in the trunk of his Cadillac. The fact that all of his paisans got a piece of the action is just a coincidence. Sure, many people from the old neighborhood in Etobicoke have heard Dougie yell, fuck you, pay me, many times over the years. But that's just Dougie being Dougie. And yeah, Dougie was spotted recently handing out frozen horse heads from the back of a cube van but he can explain that. I mean, he won't, but he could if he wanted to. One thing Dougie knows is how to keep his mouth shut. Besides, those horse heads were just his way of sending a message to the Pinkos at the Toronto Star. Allegedly. I mean, forget about it. Besides the green belt thing, it was just a little taste. Something to wet his beak. I mean, what are you going to do when you... <laughs> Sorry. I I'm laughing at my own accent because it sucks. Anyways, I mean, what are you going to do when a lineup of friends and associates ask you for a favor? At your daughter's wedding, no less. You do what any good leader would do. You give him an offer, he can't refuse. And then months later, you'll call in that favor. That's just business, right? And let's face it, Austin Matthews isn't going to pay his rent. In this world, you can't beg for scraps. You got to take it. Dougie isn't some clown here to amuse you. I mean, what's so fucking funny about Dougie? You saw him at the press conference. He's not the type to fold under questioning. In fact, the man hasn't answered a decent question in years. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. Now, you may be asking yourself, what kind of person are you, Dougie? And the answer is simple. It's just that Dougie don't answer no questions. All I know, there was nothing untoward regarding the way everyone got a piece of the green belt. Nothing. Now, get in, ben no, sorry. Now, get in Dougie's trunk. 
Benzie. <clears throat> I, I'm picturing that that picture of, of of Doug Ford with Benzie sitting there like, what the fuck are you talking about at the press conference? Uh, go to my Twitter. You'll find it there. And hey, these rumors have got to stop. When Dougie was heard at a meeting, tell everyone, say hello to my little friend. He was talking about Ryan Amato. Today, Ryan Amato swims with the fishes. And by fishes, I mean lawyers. And by lawyers, I mean rap bastards. It's a vicious cycle. Forget about it. Now, it's true. Dougie never had the makings of a varsity athlete. But the way the man handles distribution of cash is a testament to his reputation of being a hard worker. And nobody, I mean nobody, can stuff a front shirt pocket with a $20 bill better than old Dougie. So listen up, you rat fucks. Dougie doesn't want to be a product of his environment. He wants his environment to be a product of him. And that's just business. If you want to do a piece of the action, you need to step up. If you don't step up, what are you going to do? Finally, I don't know what you think Dougie did to deserve this profitless green belt. But if I were you, I'd keep my mouth shut. Capiche? Good. Now go home and get your fucking shine box. Just satire. I don't want any mafia people. <laughs> Not that there's any such thing as the mafia to come after me. But that was that. And uh, yeah, that was fun. We'll see you next time on Black Ball. Black The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.